I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my Big Bag of Onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and parts unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio Had a soul made me so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone The young stars I want to talk to you about dreams. Your dreams. Dreams that are so big that you are actually afraid of thinking about them and just put them away in a little box in your head and never reopen it. Well, today I want you to reopen that box. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? I do. I wanted to be, first of all, a singer model, then a detective, and then I wanted to be a manager. A lot of friends of mine wanted to be astronauts and pilots, and then they grew up and settled to be salesmen and accountants who played a lot of video games related to space. I know, it's not easy. We tend to grow up and settle for more safe options, for less exciting jobs. I have a large online following, and very often I read the comments of uh, my fan base, and I see sometimes people saying, oh, but it's so easy to preach for you, preach about success and talk motivationally, because you had it all. But it is not the whole truth. Appearances can be very, very deceiving. Bad luck is killing me. 
just can't stand No more of this third degree Politicians in the rich world speak of job losses and stagnant incomes brought about by immigration and foreign competition. They usually have blue-collar work in mind, car manufacturing, steelmaking and the like. But even the cognitive 1% can be adversely affected by foreign competition. In a forthcoming paper in the Journal of Human Resources, George Bochas of Harvard University and Kirk Doran and Yingshen of the University of Notre Dame study the effects of globalization on a select group of particularly brainy Westerners, professors of mathematics. Distinguishing between cause and effect is always hard in the social sciences. One approach researchers use is to search for a natural experiment, and that is exactly what Drs. Bohas, Doran and Shun found when they examined what happened to the productivity of American mathematicians after China's liberalization in 1978. Mao Zedong, in power from 1949 to 1976, was not keen on foreign ideas. For most of his rule, Chinese academics had little contact with the West. Emigration was largely banned. Between 1949 and 1965, only around 200 Chinese students left the Western universities, with the majority studying foreign languages. Just 21 studied natural sciences. Tired of being alone It was a desert of sheets and foam Heavy-hearted and suffering Oh, See 
Smelling salts of reverie Shrieking fits of ecstasy Over and over we're tumbling Oh, fascinating because of where she fits into the Tudor family tree. So she is the only daughter of Henry VII's eldest daughter, Margaret Tudor. Uh, Margaret Tudor is married twice, first to James IV, the King of Scots, and her children by James IV are the Scottish royal family. And But then after James IV is killed at the Battle of Flodden, Margaret Tudor marries again, uh, rather impetuously. She marries Archibald Douglas, the sixth Earl of Angus, uh, and they have a very tempestuous marriage. And Margaret Douglas is the product of this second marriage. Uh, so she's part of the Tudor family tree. She's also half Scottish. Uh, and that means she's got this quite interesting dynastic inheritance. But she's also important because of what she does, because of the ambitions that she has for her family. So over the course of Margaret's life, she remains very dedicated to uh, Catholicism in spite of the English break with Rome in the 1530s. So she becomes very ambitious for herself and for her family. And she's convinced that her children have a very strong claim uh, to the thrones of both England and, and later of Scotland. And she wants to see them reigning throughout the British Isles and ideally she wants to see them doing that as the Catholic monarchs of, of both England and Scotland. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Taking our time before it's through Tossing our
Now, in this week uh, has been the 100th anniversary of one of the most awful battles in modern times, uh, the battle at Passchendaele in Ypres in the autumn of 1917. Now, both you and I have spent time out in Belgium. Um, we've taken tours, we've run tours for students and you've uh, helped out enormously on that and we're both quite experienced I think and have been to these memorials and these cemeteries many many times and you would imagine I've been doing this for 20 years you would imagine that I'm somewhat unable to be affected by visiting it it's just another time but it's not every single time I go particularly to Passchendaele it is a numbing emotional moment. A team color one, two. Ain't no skipping boogaloo. Nancy of them on the queue. Steady, just call it on. Tell me someone, someone, Nancy, make a little plan, I miss a two. I tell nobody kick off your shoe, I miss a three. I tell you, Nancy, I'm a baby, I miss a four. Me let nobody kick off me door, I miss a five. I tell you, if you slip, you will slide, I miss a six. I mean, I'm sister, Nancy, I miss a seven. But every man won't go whatever you miss a eight. But I tell you, Nancy, leave them straight, I miss a nine. Jamana, this your lyrics, you're I'm in a miss a tenner. Got a little friend, says sister Nancy, come again. Me do not to borrow, and me do not to lend. Cause anything me borrow, me I get it back tomorrow. And anything me lend, me I forget it back again. Slang, 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 dang, dilly. Me saw me walking down the street, two man I meet. I'm walking down the street, two man I meet. The first thing me see was a letter to me. Second thing me see, I hope you're feeling angry. The third thing him say, send request to me. The fourth thing him say, I hope you still love me. I'm in your sister Nancy. Lord, I got her from the Jerry's family. The other time from the Supreme Passy. Lord, I got her. Who won? Jama Nancy mechanic. But I you operator that you are miss a three. I tell you Nancy ever be a be a miss a four. Don't come and only cough my door or miss a five. I tell you if you slip your will slide I miss a six. I mean a woman and see I miss a seven. But every man won't go whatever miss a eight. Jaman and see lead them straight I miss a nine. Me tell you this your lyrics your are mine I miss a ten. Go and tell a little friend. That is the Nancy come again, to Nancy come again. Me do not to bubble and me do not lend. Me do not to bubble and me do not lend. Me come again, ayah. Me say go tell your little friend, me come again. Statistics has not traditionally been an exciting word. Its most common prefix is the word dry. Ask people what they think of statistics, or try to use some in an argument, and you will often get the quote attributed to Benjamin Disraeli that lists them alongside lies and damned lies. That is a shame. Tables of figures may look dull, but they are a better guide to what is happening in the world than anything on television or in the press. Hans Rosling had no time for the idea that statistics were boring, Armed with everything from a few Lego bricks and a pocket full of drafts pieces to snazzy, specially made computer graphics, he had a talent for using numbers to tell exciting stories. Not just exciting, but optimistic too. For the tales those numbers told were of a world which, despite the headlines, was rapidly becoming a better place. He knew what he was talking about. Besides being a statistician, he was also a doctor, with experience in some of the world's poorest corners. He did his PhD in Africa, studying a disease called Konzo that strikes people whose diets include a lot of semi-processed cassava, which contains high levels of cyanide.
Have you ever held a question in mind for so long that it becomes part of how you think? Maybe even part of who you are as a person? Well, I've had a question in my mind for many, many years, and that is, how can you speed up learning? Now, this is an interesting question because if you speed up learning, you can spend less time at school. And if you learn really fast, you probably wouldn't have to go to school at all. Now, when I was young, yeah, school was sort of okay, but uh, I found quite often that school got in the way of learning. So I had this question in mind, how do you learn faster? And this began when I was very, very young. When I was 11 years old, I wrote a letter to researchers in the Soviet Union asking about hypnopedia. This is sleep learning, where you get a tape recorder, you put it beside your bed, and it turns on in the middle of the night when you're sleeping, and you're supposed to be learning from this. Uh, good idea, unfortunately it doesn't work. But, hypnopedia did open the doors to research in other areas, and we've had incredible discoveries about learning that began with that first question.
tiny wing Small quivering thing Cupped in my hand to keep you warm Safe from the banging thunderstorm Baby pay no mind Sleep now pay It's like from the outside it looks like you fit, but secretly a little piece of you never feels you 100% fit into any of them. Now if you've ever had an inkling of feeling that way, you're not alone. I mean, I felt the same, so there are definitely two of us. And I've spent the last eight years helping thousands of people get paid without compromising their personality. And in doing that, I discovered a few things that surprised me about being this way. You see, for me, not quite fitting into any one identity started from the moment I could talk. See, I was born in Australia, but my father's English and my mum was from the little island of Mauritius. So I grew up speaking English and French with this sort of weird accent that didn't really fit anywhere in the world, you know, especially not where I grew up. But the first time I really thought about this topic was one day when I was 16. See, being a lifelong nerd, at 16, I was at the top of my class, along with this other boy. And one day, my teacher took me aside and said, Marianne, you and I have something in common. 
we're both generalists. At which point I thought, great, that sounds like a good word. And then he continued. Now, the other boy, he's different from us. He is a specialist. And the one thing I've learned is that the world rewards specialists, not generalists. That's why he's gonna do really well.
I need no great effort of memory to recall in every detail the rainy autumn evening when I stood with my father in one of the more frequented streets of Moscow and felt that I was gradually being overcome by a strange illness. I had no pain at all, but my legs were giving way under me. The words stuck in my throat. My head slipped weakly on one side. It seemed as though in a moment I must fall down and lose consciousness. If I'd been taken into a hospital at that minute, the doctors would have had to write over my bed. Hunger. If I'd been taken into a hospital at that minute, the doctors would have had to write over my bed starvation, a disease which is not in the manuals of medicine. Beside me, on the pavement, stood my father in a shabby summer overcoat and a serge cap, from which a bit of white wadding was sticking out. On his feet he had big, heavy galoshes. Afraid, vain man, that people would see that his feet were bare under his galoshes, he had drawn the tops of some old boots up round the calves of his legs. This poor, foolish, queer creature, whom I loved the more warmly, the more ragged and dirty his smart summer overcoat became, had come to Moscow five months before to look for a job as a copying clerk. Oh
For several decades, biologists have pondered the question of whether men and women produce pheromones. A pheromone is a chemical signal from one animal to another. Often, though not always, such chemicals indicate sexual availability. And when it comes to human mating signals in particular, those looking into the matter have a couple of specific molecules in mind. Androstadionone, or AND, and estrotetranol, or EST, are derived, respectively, from male and female hormones and are exuded in sweat. The idea that they are pheromonal is thus worth investigating. The results of such investigations, as have been made so far, though, are contradictory. Some experiments have found that these molecules make opposite-sex faces, or photographs thereof, appear more attractive to heterosexual volunteers. Others discern no such effect. Unfortunately, most of these studies were done with groups of volunteers too small for clear conclusions to be drawn, or using less than rigorous experimental methods. That has not stopped businesses taking up the idea. Several brands of pheromone perfume, based on EST and especially AND, are available for hopeful Romeos and Juliets.
Of the millions of photos shared online every day, which most faithfully represent their subjects? The popular no-filter hashtag would suggest it as those that have not been digitally altered. But photographs of the same thing can differ greatly, depending on ambient light and the distance and angle they were taken from. So the right manipulation can actually make a picture more honest and therefore more useful for medical purposes. That is the idea behind an app from Healthy.io, an Israeli firm. Dip.io, as this app is known, uses mobile phone cameras for clinical-grade urine analysis. The patient follows the instructions, waits for the colours on the dipstick to develop, and then takes a picture of it against the background of a proprietary colour card. The app uses the card to correct the colours, so that the dipstick appears as if in a neutral standard ambient light. The result is then analysed automatically, in light of the patient's medical history. If this analysis suggests a consultation or prescription is needed, that can also be arranged automatically. my 90-page senior thesis, a paper you're supposed to spend a year on. I knew for a paper like that, my normal workflow was not an option. It was way too big a project. So I planned things out, and I decided it kind of had to go something like this. This is how the year would go. So I'd start off light, and I'd bump it up in the middle months. And then at the end, I would kick it up into high gears. Just like a little staircase. How hard could it be to just walk up the stairs? No big deal, right? But then the funniest thing happened. Those first few months, they came and went, and I, I couldn't quite do stuff. So we had an awesome new revised plan. And then 
then those middle months actually went by, and I didn't really write words. And so we were here. And then two months turned into one month, which turned into two weeks. And one day I woke up with three days until the deadline, still not having written a word. And so I did the only thing I could. I wrote 90 pages over 72 hours, pulling not one but two all-nighters. Humans are not supposed to pull two all-nighters. Sprinted across campus, dove in slow motion, and got it in just at the deadline. And I thought that was the end of everything. But a week later, I get a call. It's the school, and they say, "Is this Tim Urban?" And I say, "Yeah." And they say, "We need to talk about your thesis." I say, "Okay." And they say. Best one we've ever seen. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Forgive me, here I cannot stay. He cut out my tongue. There is nothing to save. Love me, O、oh、Lord. He threw me away. He laughed at my sins. In his arms I must stay. He wrote, I'm broke. Please send for me, but I'm broken too, and spoken for. Do not tempt me. Her skin is white, and I'm light as the sun. So holy light shines on the things you have done. So I asked him. How he became this man? How did he learn to hold fruit in his hands? And where is the lamb that gave you your name? He had to leave, though I begged him to stay. Left me alone when I needed the light. Fell to my knees and I wept for my life. He had have stayed, you might understand. If he had have stayed, you never would have taken my hand. He wrote, "I'm low. Please send for me." But I am broken too, and spoken for. Do not tempt me. And where is the lamb that gave you your name? He had to leave, though I begged him to stay. Begged him to stay in my cold wooden grip. Begged him to stay by the light of this ship. Me fighting him, fighting life, fighting dawn, and the waves came and stole him and took him to war. He wrote, "I'm broke. Please send for me." But I'm broken too, and spoken for. Do not tempt me. Forgive me, here I cannot stay. Cut out my tongue. There is nothing to say. Love me, O、oh、Lord. He threw me away. He laughed at my sins. In his arms I must stay. We write. That's all right.
I miss his smell We speak when spoken to and that suits us well That suits us well That suits me well I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music, words, and sound. Be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a guppy production for Cone Radio.